Well, it's good to see everybody today. Hope you're doing well. Yeah, thank you. Um, if you're new today, um, my name is Jason. I'm the lead pastor here, and I haven't been able to preach for the last two weeks. Um, and I'll just give you kind of a quick health update, and then we'll pray. Um, but at the end of the year, last year, I had injured my back, which, you know, that's not a big deal. That happens. I just pulled a muscle. I'd done it many times before. Um, and actually, the very first weekend of this year that we gathered, I was able to preach. But then, um, as you know, you get old and things happen. Um, but my back, when I pulled my back, it actually rotated my hip. Uh, this is what I've been told, you know, as I've been getting treatment and everything. And then caused a hip impingement, which is basically when your femur kind of gets locked into your hip. And so then the second week of the year, I wasn't able to preach because I literally wasn't able to stand or walk very much. And so I've been getting treatment on that. And thankfully that has been, uh, they've pulled that out and which to do that, you basically have to re-injure it. And uh, my doctor was like, you're gonna be in a lot of pain for 48 hours. And he wasn't lying. Uh, it was excruciating. Um, but then I've been dealing with nerve pain from that. And so I won't be able to, you know, stand up and dance and move and everything I do, but uh, I'll, you know, kind of go back and forth from the stool. But then last week I was going to come and preach. And as we told you, I got the flu last week uh, on top of that. So like the first week it was my back, then the, my hip, then my, then getting the flu, which was going around our family. Um, and then was recovering from that. And then last Saturday, not yesterday, but last Saturday, I actually had to go to the ER um, because I had really, really high, like crazy high blood pressure, um, which I don't normally have, but just dealing with all of this. And, and then while I was at the ER, and thank God for our Northside ER, so many of our nurses there, yeah, come to our church. And so, um, so grateful for them. And while I was there, they saw something in my EKG and then said, you need to follow up with a cardiologist. Um, so that'll be news to most of you because uh, we haven't shared that yet. So then last week I got into a cardiologist and then did all kinds of tests and stuff, um, which even that was amazing in itself. Uh, I got in to see one and then got in and, and was doing tests. And so even Wednesday did a couple tests, Friday did a nuclear stress test. Um, and that one is the one where you run on the treadmill, you know? And I was like, uh, doc, I can't really run right now. So they were able you know, to do it medically. Um, and then I actually meet with a cardiologist this week to follow up for all of that. And so it has been a crazy start to the year, to say the least, from my back to my hip to the flu, now my heart. Um, it just kind of keeps elevating <laughs> uh, from there. Uh, but the Lord has been with us through the whole entire thing. And uh, thank you so much for praying for us, for me, for my lovely wife who has been she was sick as well. Uh, in fact, my son got sick, then my daughter, then my wife, then me. Um, so it's just been a time for these last several weeks of 2024. But we thank the Lord. He has been faithful, and we are so great, grateful um, during this time. Again, God has just moved, and some of you have reached out and text and brought stuff, and so I can't say uh, thank you enough. But keep praying for me. Obviously, I want to get healthy. And, and I told Lindsay, you know, um, if I had to go through all that pain and everything to elevate my blood pressure, to find out something was going on, um, you know, then that was worth it. Um, but probably the hardest part was not just being laid up and not being able to do what you want to do, but it's not being gathered here with you. Um, cause I love you. I love preaching. I love what I get to do. 
so I'm incredibly grateful. I told our staff, now I'm coming back this week. I'll be on a stool if I have to, because I want to gather with God's people and preach. Um, so again, thank you for that. We'll keep you updated as, as we know things. Um, just believing, obviously nothing crazy, um, but we're grateful for God. So I'm gonna pray, and then we're gonna jump into the message, all right? Pray with me. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for who you are and just your constant presence in our life as we are gonna talk about today, God, that you are with us. And unfortunately, it takes us going through things like this sometimes to remember um, not only that we are commanded to abide in you, but you are abiding in us. And so God, I pray um, that you would meet with us, you would speak to us today. Obviously, God, I pray for myself and issues that I've been having. Pray to God that um, as we have walked through this journey, that everything would be good. And obviously for all the, we thank you for all the doctors and the people in our church, just that you have lined up exactly when we needed it, God. It's been amazing. So many amazing people, a part of our church that have stepped in and have helped. Um, but God, I know I'm not the only one dealing with things. And so God, I pray for our church. Um, I know when things like this happen, God, it tends to um, spread beyond one person. And so God, I pray for them. And just in this season of their life, I pray that they've been abiding in you and are reminded of just how important it is to stay relationally connected with you. And we thank you for this season as we've been fasting and praying and really seeking the one thing, uh, which is a relationship with you, abiding in you, remaining in you. Um, because if we don't do that one thing, then we can't do anything. As you have said, apart from you, we can do nothing. So as we open your word today, God, we pray that you would speak to us. And God, we thank you for this word. Open our eyes and our ears by your spirit to hear it and then receive it. We are, are grateful for the opportunity to gather. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, all right. Thank you also, Pastor Chad and Pastor David. Let's give it up for them. They spoke the last two weeks. Yeah. You know, January is always an amazing time of year. Uh, our church typically grows during this time. And as we had to announce this last weekend, making some changes uh, specifically to the times here in our Canton location. Um, but I just wanna say thank you for doing that because we successfully moved people off of Sunday morning last week. Even people, Jasper had almost record high attendance on a regular, regular weekend, which was awesome. More people coming to our Thursday night gatherings, which is amazing here in Canton. And then we shifted our 11.15 to 11.30 here in Canton as well. So thank you for that. Um, in fact, one of my friends this last week's like, man, the church has grown without you there. Maybe that's a sign, you know? <laughs> so I slapped him. But uh, no, I didn't. I didn't. But I'm so grateful. I mean, that is amazing that uh, obviously I love being here, but this is so much bigger and we are grateful to God for what he's been doing. If you have a Bible, we're actually gonna be in the Old Testament today in Numbers chapter nine. Now, if you don't know where that is, it's in the first five books of your Bible. You got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Now, maybe some of you have been doing a Bible reading plan and you're in the book of Numbers and you're like, no, not again. I don't wanna go into the book of Numbers. But Lindsay and I are actually doing a Bible reading plan together. And as I was reading through it, uh, Numbers chapter nine will be in verses 15 through verse 23. It was quite amazing to me, and, and you'll see it towards the end of the message, this one um, part of this story. I mean, the story itself is an amazing story. It's quite a unique story. 
But then at the end of it, there was something that really jumped out at me that obviously in this season that we're in called Abide that was just truly amazing. That, and I, saw, I read this a couple weeks ago and I was like, oh, I can't wait to get back and preach this one. And so Numbers chapter nine, it's a story. Uh, obviously the Exodus has already happened. And if you don't know that story, the people of God were freed out of slavery, 400 years of slavery in Egypt. And then they were going to the promised land. And on the way to the promised land, literally the people of Israel at this point in time were over 600,000 people. I mean, just imagine that, 600,000 people caravanning from Egypt to the promised land. And so Moses was leading them. That's the one that God had called and directed to lead. But God had to lead them. And what we're gonna see in Numbers chapter nine, in fact, you see it first in Exodus chapter 13, is how God led them. And he led them in this just truly miraculous, amazing way that I think from a principle perspective, I'm wondering, we're gonna read the narrative, we're gonna read the story, and then look at it from a principle perspective to see, okay, what can we learn about that, about how God leads us in our own life? So let's read Numbers chapter nine, verses 15 through 23 is where we're going to be. But before we get to that, I wanna come back to this concept that we've talked about in Abide with the vine and the trellis. In fact, if you were here the very first week of the year, I talked about this and I showed you a picture. And the, I have the picture here on the screen as well because what you see is you see a trellis, which is the wooden structure there with the, the, the cables, and then you see the vine on top of it that's kind of wrapped around it. And what we talked about the very first week was the vine is our source and then the trellis is the structure. And the point that I wanted to try to make throughout this whole thing is you need both of those. You need a connection to the source, but you need structures that help you connect to that source. And what we've been talking about, in fact, Pastor Chad talked about rules, Pastor David basically talked about relationship, the presence of God. Those two things I wanna kind of bring together for you today and hopefully help you understand, and it's gonna illustrate in this story, how a relationship with God just like the vine is supported by a structure or rules. We say rules are like commands. In fact, for the first point, you might wanna write this down. Rules are structures that enable relationship. Rules are structures that enable relationship. And what I mean by that is this. I think a lot of times in church world, we create this false dichotomy. And what I mean by that is like we put relationship on one side and then we put rules or religion on the other side as if they're two separate things. And, and if you kind of grew up in church, this was very popular starting kind of the late 80s and 90s was this phrase that Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. It's not a religion, it's a relationship. And the emphasis on relationship I think was good, was important, but I think what began to happen is people started thinking about it strictly from a relational perspective and then saw rules or religion as opposed to relationship. So here's what began to happen in churches. It was all about a relationship with Jesus, but the moment you tried to implement any rules or any commands, people were like, hold up, hold up, don't judge me. If you ever been in church, that's probably the most misquoted verse of all time. Judge not lest you be judged, right? And this idea is if, if you're bringing rules or religion into a relationship, it somehow stifles it. It somehow ruins the relationship. But what I wanna show you, and again, you're gonna see it in Numbers chapter nine, is the exact opposite is true. 
And what I mean by that is this. Rules aren't opposed to relationship. Rules are actually the structures that enable the relationship. Let me give you an example. The most primary relationship in my life outside of the Lord is obviously with my wife, Lindsay. Well, Lindsay and I have certain rules in our relationship. One of them is we don't date other people. <laughs> right? I mean, that's kind of a no-brainer, isn't it? You'd be amazed, though, how many people are like, whoa, wow, that's a fascinating rule. <laughs> now, with that rule, is that prohibitive to my relationship with Lindsay? No. Yes, it is restrictive. See, we just think of rules from like this restriction instead of we need to think of rules as relational. See, the rules, yes, they're restrictive. It restricts a little bit who else I can date. But by restricting that, it actually enables a relationship with Lindsay. So we have rules. In fact, in our first year of marriage, I've mentioned this before throughout the years, in our very first year of marriage, you know, it's awesome for like five or six months, right? I mean, it was, it's all awesome, but you know what I'm saying? Like you get through that point and I'll never forget we had our first fight like late at night and I'm not a night owl. At 10 o'clock, I wind down. What, 10 o'clock, Lindsay winds up? So she's awake and I'll never forget one time we were having this argument. It was about 11.30 at night and at that point in time, I was actually driving a school bus Going to, school, like going to school, driving a school bus, and working at a church. And so I had to wake up really early. And I'll never forget at this point, I mean, I was getting like delirious, y'all, because I had to wake up at five in the morning. And Lindsay and I just started arguing. And it got so bad that here's what became my strategy. I'm gonna make her so mad that she doesn't wanna talk to me anymore. Because <laughs> your boy's gotta go to sleep. So I did it. I'm not saying this was smart. All right. I don't even remember what I said. I said something that made her mad. And then she got so mad she didn't want to talk to me. And I was like, yes, thank you. I can go to sleep. <laughs> well, then the next morning I realized that's probably not a great strategy, right? So I apologized to her. I said, I'm sorry. But then this is what I said, baby, we need to make a rule. Here's our rule. No serious conversations after 10 p.m. at night. For real. That's a rule in our house. And you can track it. Anytime we have serious conversations after 10, it don't go well. So we need to have a serious conversation. We're going to have it before 10 p.m. at night because at 10 p.m. at night, your boy starts getting sleepy. And when I start getting sleepy, I start getting angry if I can't go to sleep. So that rule, why do we make that? To help our relationship. But here's what happens a lot of times with God. We understand that in other relationships, rules are necessary or commands are necessary. Or think about it like this, rhythms. Rhythms are necessary. But the same is true in our relationship with God. Rhythms or rules are necessary. See, it's a, it is a relationship with God. But here's the way I like to say it. It's not relationship, not religion. It is a religion, but it's powered by a relationship. It's powered by a relationship. God still gives us rules. He still gives us commands. But those rules become the structures that actually enable our relationships. And you're going to see that here in Numbers chapter 9. So now let's read. I'm going to read verse 15 and 16 and kind of set the stage for you. It says, On the day that the tabernacle was set up, the cloud covered the tabernacle, the tent of the testimony. 
And at evening, it was over the tabernacle like the appearance of fire until morning. So it was always. The cloud covered it by day and the appearance of fire by night. Now, if you don't know the story, when they were leaving out of Egypt, obviously, they're portable. They're not into the promised land yet. And it was supposed to happen for 40 days, but they disobeyed, and so then it turned into 40 years. So now they're traveling for quite some time. And God is gonna give them specific instructions to build a, what is called a tabernacle, which another way to think about that is just a tent. In fact, it calls it a tent, the tent of testimony. So just think of like a big party tent or like a big circus tent. And God gave specific instructions, and this is where God had them build Basically, what became the future version or the temple became the future version of this, but this was the same type of thing because you had the Holy of Holies, you had the holy place, right? The Holy of Holies is where the Ark of the Covenant was, the Ten Commandments was there. That's where God would meet with man when man would come and the priest would come and offer sacrifices. And so you had this whole tabernacle or tent that was a portable temple, if you will. And so that temple or that tabernacle was the center of life for them. They would all camp around it. But it tells us how God led them is he led them through a physical representation of his presence. During the day, it was a cloud and the cloud literally would hover right over the Holy of Holies. And then at night, it would turn to a fire because obviously you can't see a cloud at night. And when that cloud would move, they were instructed to move. And wherever it stayed, they were instructed to stay. So I want you to see these two things that we've been talking about. The cloud and the fire represents the presence of God. In fact, Exodus 13 tells us God was in the cloud. So it represented the physical presence of God. And at one point in time, the cloud enveloped this whole tabernacle where Moses couldn't even go inside or else he would die because God is so holy. It's, he's so, I mean, just think about like being in the presence of the sun when something is so powerful, you can't withstand it. And so this cloud represented the powerful presence of God. And so you see this in Numbers chapter nine, that that is how God led them. It was through his relational presence but then he gave them rules to follow as it resulted when his presence was there, they stayed. When it moved, they moved. Let's keep reading in Numbers chapter nine. I'll show you this. Numbers chapter nine, verse 17. It says, whenever the cloud lifted from over the tent, after that, the people of Israel set out. And in the place where the cloud settled down, there the people of Israel camped. Verse 18, at the command of the Lord, the people of Israel set out, and at the command of the Lord, they camped. So think about this. At the command of the Lord, that's a rule. And by them living within those rules, it enabled the relationship. It enabled the relationship of the presence of God. Where the presence of God went, they went. Now look at this. I love this. As long as the cloud rested over the tabernacle, they remained in camp. As long as the cloud rested, they remained. Here's what's amazing to me. That word there, rested, 
is the Hebrew equivalent of the Greek word abide. As long as the cloud abided, they abided. As long as the cloud rested, they remained. Even when the cloud continued over the tabernacle many days, the people of Israel kept the charge of the Lord and did not set out. Verse 20, sometimes the cloud was, was a few days over the tabernacle. And according to the command of the Lord, they remained in camp. And then according to the command of the Lord, they set out. And sometimes the cloud remained from evening until morning. And when the cloud lifted in the morning, they set out. Or if it continued for a day and a night, when the cloud lifted, they set out. Now you'll see this more in just a second, but principally I want you to understand this. It took quite a bit of work to set up that tabernacle, get everything, and even the Ark of the Covenant. You couldn't touch it because it was so holy. If you touched it, you would die. It had rings on the side and they had a rod through it. Imagine the dudes that had to move that. And then they had to set everything up, the tabernacle and their own family tents. So they would have to set it up. They would have to tear it down every time the cloud moved. And here's what the Bible says. Sometimes it remained there for a day. Imagine that one. You get there, you set it all up. You're like, oh, okay, sweet. Whew, we're here. You just sit down in your tent and there goes the cloud. You're like, dang it. <laughs> just got this sucker set up. What is wrong? And then sometimes you, you get there, you set everything up. The cloud's there. You're like, it's there, it's there, it's there, it's there. Okay, it's still there. It's still there. Okay, it's night. It's a fire. Okay, whoo, I can go to sleep, right? Sometimes it would be two days. Sometimes it might be a week. Sometimes it might be for a half a day. And this is right when you're like, God, would you just tell us ahead of time how long we're gonna be somewhere? Would you just give me a schedule of what you want me to do with my life? You ever ask God questions like this? And here's what God says. I'll tell you when I tell you. Because if I tell you what's gonna happen over the next five years, you won't feel the need to remain close to me. But if you have to remain close to me in order to see when I'm moving and when I'm not, that's what I want to make sure you do. I don't know if you've realized this yet or not. God doesn't operate off of your schedule. He is not obligated to tell you when he's gonna move and when he's gonna stay. But you and I are obligated to remain where he remains. That's why this principle of abiding is so important. Because as I was reading this story, I thought about it. I was like, you know what? There's really two mistakes that you can make. There's really two mistakes that we can make. And in fact, I have them here on the screen. I want you to see it. Two mistakes that we can make is moving when God has not moved. But watch this. And then not moving when God has moved. Think about it. Two mistakes we can make. 
Moving when God hasn't moved. How many of us have done that before? We made a move and God wasn't in it. We made a move because she was fine. Not because the Lord was in it. We made a move because we could make some money. Not because the Lord was in it. We made a move because we prayed to everybody else. We talked to everybody else. Our hairdresser said it was a great idea. Somebody on a Reddit blog said it was a great idea. But we didn't read his word and see, Lord, are you moving? See, here's what I'm trying to get you to see. It's not so much about where we are to move to or when we are to move or how we are to move, but are who are we looking to about when and where and how we move. See, so often in our lives, we're asking the wrong questions. When, how, where, instead of who. Who are you resting in? See, I'll never forget when Lindsay and I made the decision to move from Texas to Georgia. If you don't know, we've been here now for 14 years, but Lindsay and I are both born and raised in Texas. We're ministering in Texas, and I've joked about this many times, but when Lindsay and I had our first date, I said, if you're not willing to live in a hut in Africa, don't marry me. Because if God says move, guess what, baby? I'm moving. It ain't up to me. My life is his, according to 1 Corinthians 6. And she was down with that, which is why I loved her. And I'll never forget, we just felt like we'd been in Corpus Christi, Texas for seven years. We felt like God was calling us to something else. And guess what? We flew to all kinds of cities. We were going to plant a church in Pittsburgh. We were going to plant a church in Cleveland. We were going to plant a church in Columbus. And Lindsay was like, nope, 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 nope. God was like, nope, 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 nope. So like, all right. And I'll never forget. God said, go back, submit to your pastor and shut your mouth. Yes, sir. That's what I did. And then it was through my pastor that the opportunity for Revolution Church came. And then we come out here and visit because Revolution Church, the founding pastor had left and then they hired a search firm. The guy who led that search firm knew my pastor, called my pastor and said, hey, do you know anybody? He's like, actually my student pastor. And so we came out here in fall of 20, uh, 2009 and we were visiting and I came out and preached. I actually didn't go deer hunting that year to come preach for y'all. That's how much I love y'all. And then we went back home and Lindsay and I had to pray about it. We're like, Lord, do you want us to move? And during that whole time, and I've said this story many times, but we were going through an adoption process. And I got back home. I talked to my pastor. I said, I don't know if the Lord wants us to move. He says, you know what? If God can raise Jesus from the dead in three days, he can do anything. So fast and pray for three days. So I did. I fasted and prayed. And on the third day, sitting in my house one morning, reading my Bible, and I felt like the Lord said, go into what was going to be the nursery for our child. He said, go in there. So I went in there and I felt like the spirit of the Lord say to me, Jason, just like your wife didn't birth this baby, but you're adopting this baby. You didn't birth this church, but I want you to adopt this church. And here was the coolest part about the story. I accepted the position on December 5th, 2009. And that was the same exact day that my daughter was born. Well, that's how I knew. God said, move. And what I'm saying to you is this. You have to have that kind of relationship with God that you know. Because I knew if we were moving from Texas 
to Georgia, and this was a crazy situation, y'all here. I was like, if we're gonna move that far, I gotta know that the Lord told me to move because I don't wanna be halfway through this thing and things start falling apart. And I'm like, I don't know if he said to move or not. And I'll never forget after that, I was like, Lord, all right, I believe you're telling me to move. Now you gotta tell Lindsay. (laughs) Not because she wouldn't be submissive and if I told her that I thought, but I wanted her to have the confirmation from the Lord. I wanted her to know that that the Lord had told us to move. And it wasn't too much longer later, she was vacuuming behind our washer and dryer. I've said this before, and I think she actually vacuumed up some of her uh, personal clothes into the vacuum and cleaner, and she got it stuck, and then she came to me, and then she was just crying, which is not rare for her, but she was just crying. I was like, oh no, what happened? I'm like, did you get the vacuum stuck? She's like, no, God just told me. I was like, all right, let's go, baby. A month later, I moved here. And, And what I'm getting at is this, If we're not abiding in God, then we can move when he doesn't. Or worse, sometimes we can not move when he does. And I was thinking about this. I was like, you know, it's almost kind of like a dance. Like if those of you that know how to dance, you know, it's two people in a groove with one another. And you know, when one person moves, the idea is the other person follows, right? And you gotta have a lead, somebody steps, and like, oh, they're stepping. Okay, let me move my foot, right? So I don't step on my foot. So you kind of move back and forth. And I started thinking about this. I was like, man, this would be a great song. So then I just did a this simple Google search. Is there a song like you move, I move? Yeah. And lo and behold, the prophet John Legend has a song. I'm going to play a 30 second clip of the chorus. All right. And I want you to hear that. I want you to listen to it and, and don't be afraid to groove a little bit when you hear it. All right. You can even snap with it when you, all right, come on, Jasper. I know you can do this. All right. Just, just snap me. But I want you to think about it. Here we go. There we go. You see it? Come on, snap with me. Right there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Listen to the words. You with me? Listen to this. All right, that's it. That's it. That's good. All right. Let me read those lyrics to you again. I know this is why you miss me. All right. Chad and David were good, but they weren't up here dancing like your boy. All right. Here's the lyrics, what you just heard. When you move, I move. Move. I'm caught in your groove. Yeah, I'm going to stay right next to you. Wherever you're going, I'm going to. As I thought about that song, I'm like, what a perfect picture of our relationship with God. When you move, I move. See, God is the first mover. God made the first move to you. Not only did he make you, but in Christ, he came to you. He is the one who came and displayed his presence to them. God took it as his personal responsibility to lead them, to give them a physical representation. Here's what's amazing to me. During the day and at night, 24-7, God was relationally present with them. This is what Pastor David was talking about, his 
invitation into a relational presence. You say, well, how do I do that? What Pastor Chad talked about, the rules of the family. See, if they didn't move when he moved, they would have missed on the relationship. Or if they moved when he didn't move. In fact, a few chapters later, in chapter 13 and 14, we don't have time to get into it, but you can go read it later. God had told them to move up into the promised land. They sent in the spies, came back. They were like, no, them suckers are too big. We're like grasshoppers. So they didn't move. Well, God got mad, judged them. And then they were like, like some of our kids do, fine, I'll move. You can go read it at the end of chapter 14 of Numbers. So they're like, fine, we'll go. And then they go and God doesn't go with them and they get defeated. It's a tangible example of what our life should look like with God. She so said, okay, how do I do that then? How do I do that? Well, let's keep reading in Numbers. Numbers chapter nine, verse 22. I love this. Whether it was two days or a month or a longer time. How do you do it? No matter how long it takes. That the cloud continued over the tabernacle. Now, here's the phrase that jumped out at me when I was reading this. Say it with me. Next two words. Abiding there. See it? Abiding there. The cloud was abiding there. The people of Israel remained, or you could say abided, in camp and did not set out. But when it lifted, they set out. See, the key to any growth that you want to experience in your life in 2024 is abiding in Christ. It's remaining in God. That's the key. If you don't want to make the mistake of not moving when he's not moving or moving when he doesn't, if you want to move when he moves, then you got to be able to see him, right? You got to be able to know because you're abiding in him. You're abiding in him relationally. You're so relationally connected to him that following the rules becomes natural. Look at this. It says, at the command of the Lord, they camped. And at the command of the Lord, they set out. They kept the charge of the Lord at the command of the Lord by Moses. That phrase there, they kept the charge, it's very interesting. The idea of kept means to obey. But the, the charge, it, it's something you're entrusted to. And so God had entrusted them with his presence. But they had to trust themselves to God's presence. And this idea of keeping or obeying literally is the concept of conforming your actions to. Conforming your actions and this is what I want us to see from a rules perspective. God gives us rules. He gives us commands. Christianity is a religion. In a relationship with God, God is going to put restrictions on your life. Do this, don't do this. 
You see those even in the New Testament, okay? Jesus, when he was giving commands in the New Testament, he didn't lessen the commands of the Old Testament. Yes, some of the religious commands went away. Yes, some of the cultural demands went away, like food and all that kind of stuff, because Jesus was the sacrifice. But the moral commands, like the Ten Commandments, those didn't go away. Jesus ups them. And when he ups them, he ups them because now he knows the presence of God, which was in the cloud, was moving from that tabernacle to a different one. And it wasn't just moving from that temporary tabernacle to a permanent one in Jerusalem. 1 Corinthians 6 says it moved from that one to us. See, we are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. And this is what I want you to see. Because everybody in here would be like, well, I would know what to do if I saw a cloud. If God would just rest the cloud over the person I'm supposed to marry. Done. Right? If God would just rest the cloud over the house I'm supposed to buy. If God would just rest the cloud over the car I'm supposed to buy, over the job I'm supposed to have. If God would just give me a sign. How many of us say that? All the time. But here's what I want you to see. The sign of the cloud and the fire was just a tangible representation of his spirit. See, so many times we keep asking for a pillar and God's like, I gave you a person. The person of the Holy Spirit. And if you would abide in the one who's abiding in you, this is what's amazing. I don't have to go to a tabernacle or a temple now to experience the presence of God. Now, yes, we should still gather together, but I want you to know something. These buildings that we have, as good as they are, they are not the house of God in that sense. Yes, they house the people of God, but we are the house of God. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6. The Spirit of God moved from a pillar out there to a person in here. He's abiding in here if you're in Christ. And now we can abide with the one who's abiding in us. And here's the key. If we abide in him, then we'll have the power to conform our actions to the rules that he has told us. In fact, the last point here, we can only conform our actions if we abide. We can only conform our actions if we abide. We can only keep the commands if we abide. And here's what's the best news about God. God isn't asking any one of us to conform our actions without his spirit empowering us to do it. The problem so many of us make is we try to conform our actions without abiding in Christ. And think about how that can ruin any relationship. If I just try to do things for Lindsay without ever spending time with Lindsay, connecting relationally with Lindsay, then my conforming my actions to Lindsay's will will become very dull 
and I will become very frustrated. I mean, think about your children. So often, I think about my son. You know, he didn't want to shower or bathe. I mean, he's a dude. We come from the dirt, right? That's what we do. Until he met his girlfriend. Now that sucker showers like three times a day, Axe, cologne, everything. I'm like, bro, you're going to send me to the hospital from chemical poisoning. He conforms his actions. Why? Because his heart changed. It's his love now. It's, he wants to be with a person. So he conforms his actions around that. That's what I'm trying to get you to see with God. The whole reason why we do this abide season is it allows you to avert your affections from food to your father, to your necessary food, to your spiritual food. It reconnects you to God as you're abiding in him. Let me show you one last verse in Nehemiah chapter nine and we're done. I just wanna show you that it was always about the spirit, not about a cloud. Nehemiah chapter nine, you just write this down as a reference, 19 through 21. This is Nehemiah many decades later, centuries later, looking back during this time in Numbers chapter nine. Listen to what he says. You, in your great mercies, he's talking about God, did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud to lead them in the way did not depart from them by day, or the pillar of fire by night to light for them the way by which they should go. That's what we read in Numbers chapter nine. But look at verse 20. You gave your good, what? Spirit. Now I put these in all caps, but in your Bible, that spirit there is a capital S because it's the Holy Spirit. You gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst. 40 years you sustained them in the wilderness and they lacked what? Nothing. Here's what's amazing to me, church. Jesus said in John 15, abide in me as I abide in you. For apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Here's what I want you to see. Unless you abide in him, you can't do nothing. But watch this. If you abide in him, you won't lack nothing. Which nothing do you want? You want to try to live your life without abiding in him? You want to move where you want to move? And this is what happens in our culture today. People move on from what God has said. You say, how do I abide in, in God? You read his word. How do I know when he's moving? You read his word. How do I do his marriage? We'll talk about uh, marriage. We'll talk about this in Ephesians 5. How do I do parenting? We'll talk about it in Ephesians 5. So what happens so often today is people have moved on from the word of God. We're into redefining everything in our culture today. We've moved on from biblical definitions. God didn't move. Word of God didn't change. Or so often what begins to happen is God is moving and he's pushing you and you don't want to move because you won't do like what my daughter did. Speaking of that amazing daughter of mine that we adopted years ago, 
I'll never forget when she was like four years old, both of my kids, as they were growing up, I told them, and I asked her if I could share this story, by the way. I told them, God has put your mom and I's authority over your life so that you'll know you have an authority in God for the rest of your life. So I, I had my kids say, yes, sir. There was this one time that Natalie didn't want to say it. I don't know what, why she just, I mean, it was, she didn't want to say it. She was obstinate. She had this favorite, uh, her favorite possession in the world was Bunny. She still has it to this day. And so I took Bunny away from her. I said, all you got to do is say, yes, sir. We got into like a knockdown drag out fight. She was four years old. And Lindsay was like, just give her the bunny. I'm like, no, because if I lose this, I'm gonna be losing for the rest of my life with her. So I said, all you gotta say is two words. Yes, sir. That girl wouldn't say it for four days. <laughs> we laugh about it now, but she didn't get that bunny back. Finally, my awesome mother-in-law, her grandmother talked to her and said, you can get bunny back if you just say yes, sir. And I used to make my kids do like this, say yes, sir. I'll never forget, she walks up to me one day, real sheepish. You got something to say? She goes, yes, sir. Here's your bunny, baby. What was I teaching my daughter? Teaching my daughter that there's an authority in her life. And it was my job and her, parent, her mother's job to represent God's authority in her life because I didn't want her to live her life thinking she could move however she wanted to move. Go wherever she wanted to go. Do whatever she wanted to do because then she would miss out on the relationship with God. And how many times in our life have we missed out on the abiding presence of God, the power of God, simply because we wouldn't say yes, sir, to him? We moved on in a relationship because we thought we knew better. We did this thing because we thought we knew better. And God in his graciousness will let you move without him so that you can realize how miserable it is. But here's the good news about God. The moment you mess it up, in Christ, he is there to receive you back. So as we wrap up this season, we got one more week left. I just want to encourage you, remain in God. Abide in God. Don't move unless he moves. But when he moves, move. Abide in him. Don't see his rules as restrictive. See them as the thing that supports the relationship. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your graciousness to us. You are such a relational God. You are the one that initiated this relationship. You are the one that made a move toward us in Christ. And God, I know there are people gathered here today or watching online that maybe they have never understood that you made the first move towards them. Jesus put on flesh and dwelt among us so that he could offer his life as a sacrifice to get us back to you. As I've said many times, heaven is not so much about a place, it's about getting back to a person. Jesus died to get us back to our Father. 
And God, I know there are people here today that maybe don't have a relationship with him. And I pray today you'd open their eyes so they could see your love. Nobody looking around or talking here as we close as always, but if you've never trusted Jesus, there's never been a point in time in your life where you have said, yes, sir, to the Father by surrendering your life to him. I wanna encourage you today. It'll be the best move you ever make. And if you wanna trust Jesus, you can pray with me. You don't have to do it out loud, but it goes like this. You can say, Father, thank you for loving me that you sent your son, Jesus, in my place for my sin. Thank you for moving to me. Today, I wanna move to you. Give you my life. Ask you to save me. Forgive me. Thank you for loving me. Again, nobody looking around or talking here as we close both physical locations, Canton and Jasper. If you just prayed that with me today, would you just simply lift your hand up so we can see that? Don't be afraid to make that move. We got men and women that are here. They're gonna walk around, put a Bible, some next steps in your hand. Thank you. But then I know there's people here that you've trusted Jesus. But maybe if you were honest with me, you would say, you know what? I've made some moves that I realize now God wasn't in it. I moved and he didn't move. And I need to repent for that. Just tell him, God, I repent for making that move. Maybe there's some of you here that God has asked you to make a move and you're scared to step out in faith. I want to tell you, if God is with you, who can be against you? Life is about making moves, man. Even this last week in our church, we asked people to make moves. If you live here in Canton, but you, uh, you attend here in Canton, but you live closer to Jasper, people move to our Jasper location. If you could come to Thursday night, we asked people to come to our Thursday night gatherings. They're awesome. We've had over 100 more people. It's amazing. People made a move. We moved our 1115 to 1130 here in Canton. That's a move. All those were missionary moves that we felt like God was asking us to do to make more room for more people to love Jesus and grow. Sometimes it might be God's asking you to move four states away, like he asked Lindsay and I. Sometimes it might just be to make a move towards your spouse in loving service. Sometimes it might be a move to forgive. I just want to encourage you. Abide in Christ, and then you'll know the move. And know that God is with you. And again, if he's for you, who can be against you? Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for wanting to abide in us. God, I pray now that you would help us to abide in you. Just like the song says, when you move, I move. Wherever you're going, I'm going too. God, we want that to be our prayer in 2024. Our prayer is, God, that we would abide in you, in your presence, in your spirit. We'd be sensitive to your spirit to know that you moved and we need to move with you. Or when you don't, we don't. And God, I pray that you would help us. 
because you're with us and you love us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you, church.